This is episode number 23 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And we're both very excited today to have Trista Zinn on, who is a master trainer and international course instructor for the Hypopressive and Physical Therapy Institute, founder of Corset Fitness, and director of Hypopressive's Low Pressure Fitness Canada. She has over 27 years experience in the health and fitness industry and six years of experience certifying health professionals in hypopressives and low pressure fitness across North America. Trista is recognized as the key English-speaking authority on the subject. Inspired by her own success with the technique in eliminating her stage 2 cystocele, along with similar successes with her own clientele, she is driven to raise awareness of this viable alternative treatment option. So thank you so much for being on today. Well, thank you for having me. And can you share just a bit more about yourself, Trista, just kind of your home life, but also in terms of work, anything that uh, we didn't cover? Yeah, so I am a mom. Uh, I have two kids, uh, which is, I think, important information for those of us, you know, talking to moms. Uh, I have a 17-year-old and a 12-year-old. And as you mentioned, I've been in the fitness industry for, yeah, close to 27 years, was a personal trainer, so I'm not a physio. I'm a fitness trainer. And I guess it's, well, as you mentioned, about six years where I started to really branch off and just specialize in this hypopressive technique. And it's really all I do now. I don't do any traditional exercise training unless the client wants me to slowly introduce some of the things they can start to do. But that's not where I focus my attention anymore. It's really hypopressives, low pressure fitness is my, yeah, where my passion lies. And that's what I yeah focus my attention on. Yeah, and it's a fascinating tool, the hypopressives themselves. Can you just explain to us what are hypopressives? So hypopressives is, um, and it's also, uh, I'll mention too that it's kind of known as low pressure fitness. You'll see the two of them, the words played together a lot on social media. And I think it's important for people to understand that they're kind of one and the same. Hypopressives is a low pressure form of fitness. And low pressure fitness uses hypopressives. Okay, so not to confuse too much, but they are the same thing. And low pressure fitness is the school um, that you'd mentioned, the International Institute of Hypopressives with the brand name Low Pressure Fitness, just so people aren't confused by that. Um, so it is a core restoration and maintenance program that takes a full body approach to core health and trains the true function of the core. 
So not the, what a lot of the fitness industry deems as core and shows images of abs. Um, it takes the true function of the core into consideration, although it was originally created um, to help postnatal women prevent and recover from pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, it has become so much more than that over the years and is now being sought after by men, women, athletes who are looking to actually train the true function of their core and gain the benefits um, from the technique as a whole. What are people seeing as the benefits of, from practicing hypos or low pressure fitness? Um, there are a variety of benefits. And I think really, if we take a look at what the function of the core is, knowing this, then you will know how hypopressives can benefit the core. So if we know that the core is um, related to pelvic floor function to prevent incontinence of fecal and urinary incontinence to help um, support our internal organs, our internal being, if you will. It's also responsible for digestion, circulation, phonation to speak, sexual health, posture, alignment, stability, all of these things, which many people don't even realize um, has to do with the core and the core's function. So when we are training the true function of the core, we're helping all of these aspects um, and all of the things the core is responsible for. So people see a um, improvement in respiration. They see improvement in sports performance and athletic performance because they're improving their respiratory function as well as the true core function where they're not over recruiting abs and bracing all the time, which kind of locks you down and prevents the fluidity and mobility of movement. Um, along with women who are using it and men as well, using it to help prevent and restore um, or recover from signs and symptoms of core dysfunction related to pelvic health. So again, it's a symptom of a core dysfunction to have incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, sexual dysfunction. So they're seeing improvements in those symptoms as would someone who would like to prevent an abdominal hernia, right? So because it helps to better manage the core function and the core's ability to manage um, intra-abdominal pressure, if you will, it can help prevent an abdominal hernia. It can't fix an abdominal hernia. Once the abdominal hernia is there, it's there. But it's, again, the same idea. It's an inability to manage the pressures in that core canister. Or it's not functioning correctly. So something's going to give, and that's where that person's maybe weak link was. And that's where their symptom lay. Whereas some is pelvic floor dysfunction, some's vertebral hernias, some's respiratory dysfunction, et cetera. So... It covers, it's a little crazy because you can gain a lot of benefits, even though you're kind of maybe looking into it for one of those pieces. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe how much better I'm breathing. I feel taller, lighter. I can move more efficiently. Um, so as a core breaks down or you so, show, get that snowball effect of things sort of slowly unwinding and falling apart wherever you're um, related to that weak link of the core, you know? So if your breathing's not good, then your posture properly is, possibly is not good or vice versa. And then the pelvic floor can't function correctly. 
it's the same idea, but going the other direction. So although you approached it for pelvic reasons, if you're really training the true function of the core, you're going to reverse that and everything is going to be come back into place and you start to notice all the, the benefits in other areas as well. Does that make sense what I... Yeah, no, that's a great explanation. And for those listening to know it's I mean, it can help so many things. I know when we've chatted before, like just to hear all the different issues it could help with that it's not only pelvic floor, although it does, but for so many things like back pain or how you said, even just changing posture um, or athletic performance as well. And I know off the top, we talked about um, you used hypopressives um, to help with your um, cystocele or your bladder prolapse years ago. Um, how did you end up coming across hypopressives to begin with? So I found out that I had the stage two cystocele bladder prolapse. And um, like many, freaked out. Uh, I won't go into my long story, but it was a tearful one for sure. And uh, it is a bit of a journey. And in that um, search for something other than resorting to surgery or resorting to stop exercising, et cetera, which I think was more back then people were saying, stop exercising, stop doing ab work, stop running. Whereas I think now we're a little more uh, accepted of people continuing to do some of these activities. But anyway, um, a friend of mine, Kim, uh, who is also in pelvic health, who I've known since high school, actually, she'd heard about hypopressives and had started watching YouTube videos. So she said, you got to check this out, see what you think. And I tried to emulate what I could because everything was in Spanish at the time. And that's really how I, how I came upon it. And it was really... It was about two weeks after practicing it myself, just trying to emulate what I saw online, which I do not recommend because I've seen people try and emulate what they do and they do it very wrong. I don't know why, for some reason I connected and some people do, but there's many people who don't. Anyhow, it was in about, um, within about two weeks, I went back to the pelvic health physio and she had said my stage two had gone up to a stage one. And my pelvic tone had started to normalize, et cetera. And that's when I was kind of like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta find out how I can bring this here. Because even if, even if I could help 10% of the population or there was a percentage of the population that was gonna respond the way I could, we needed to have it here. It shouldn't be limited to Spain where it was. So that's kind of how my journey with this technique came to be and by journey I really mean journey with flights back and forth to Spain um, getting myself qualified so then I can teach the courses and try and help as many people as I can but I've gone to um, Banyoles, Spain to seek out the only English speaking instructor at the time Kaisa and she kindly donated her weekend or didn't donate but helped me for a weekend and taught me the level one and uh, course so then I could come home and work with clients but then I knew exactly what I was supposed to do and I learned that it was all about the postures as well it wasn't just a breathing technique and I guess after unfortunately I wasn't marking everything down and calculating timelines because I was really just doing it for personal you know but 
I know that there was an intensive phase, probably about four weeks that I was using the technique exactly how I should be based on what I had learned. And I had gone back to the pelvic floor physio and she said that the prolapse was no longer there. Um, and that's when I started traveling back and forth and back and forth. And so I could teach the, the courses. So, so cool. I'm just going to jump ahead here in our questions a little bit because you mentioned that yeah. it can be very, uh, people want to see this done online. They search YouTube for it and yeah. then they want to try it themselves. And really this practice needs in-person coaching and some hands-on technique. I do believe, and I know you believe that as well too, to really yeah. nail the intention of it and the movement of it. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think actually not even, I even, so because I started doing Skype training in 2012, because there just weren't enough qualified instructors around the globe. So people were contacting me. There was no one close to them. And I really just wanted to help. Like I wanted to see if I could help. And so I started um, Skype training people. And so although I always ask the person if they can refer to the Hypopressives Canada website or the Low Pressure Fitness Canada website to see if they can find someone qualified near them to give them the hands-on. If not, I definitely believe you need eyes on that person and or and guide them. And cueing is very, very important. And everybody moves very differently. And um, you really can do it wrong. And I've even seen, you know, so there's interviews that I've done. There's an interview that I did in Barcelona and I've had people contact me say, well, I've, you know, I've been practicing. I saw you instruct this person on this interview and she does X, Y, Z. And I'm just kind of like, Oh my God, you guys, that was an interview. Like I never met this person before I did that interview. I literally, Met her 20 minutes before I went on. She'd kind of been practicing it herself. We did the best we could under those circumstances. But that might not be my ideal scenario that I would have someone try to emulate. Do you know what I mean? So I think you really have to be careful. I think you have to be careful um, who you're watching and what you're doing. And the majority of people who are qualified instructors aren't the ones who are posting online how to do this apnea and showing people how to do the apnea because we know it can be done wrong. People think they're doing it right. They try and cue it correctly, but mm, they're not. And you can actually increase pressure instead of decrease pressure, right? Um, it's not it's not what it seems. Many people who take the course, and I think you, you know even, Jesse, that because you took the level one, that... Um, Many people come to the course, fitness, health, PTs come to the course, and their reaction is like, oh, my God, it's not at all what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really different. And you can't always look at an image and look at a photograph and think you know what to do in a YouTube video. Yeah. Yeah, because I think looking at it and I know if people look at pictures I think the assumption is that you're just sucking in your stomach to a very high degree yeah and I try to tell people because I saw Trista so when I lived in Toronto and then after having my daughter I went and saw Trista for um, a series of appointments and it is not easy like I had to get I don't know how about you Jess but I had to get like so out of my head out of my physio head my Pilates head um you have to let go a lot more than you think. So I think even as 
fitness or health professionals, it might even be more challenging just because of the knowledge we go in with that we almost have to let it go. Um, So to learn from an image or a simple like Instagram video, I'm like, it's just, I do not recommend it's, it's not that easy. No, I think that's how people jump to conclusions. And I think that's how physios jump to conclusions who see it because they're trying to go at it analytically and they're trying to draw upon their knowledge of the human body. And you kind of can't do that. And you guys are the hardest people to train almost because even in the courses, like, oh my God, you guys, you have to just stop thinking. You have to let yourself feel what's happening. It's the most important thing is just allow yourself to feel the body. And you really become in tune to a deeper part of yourself. And so there is like a nice mindfulness component to it. And there is an intensity to it. It's not easy. People say, you know, this is, it's hard. And I'm like, I never said it was going to be easy. It's an exercise technique. But for many, many people, it's more about, oh my God, you need to breathe and let go and feel, you know, what's happening with your body to cue you into the poses. Don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it just doesn't come together the same way. And I think it's, that's actually good to go into our next question about how would you describe low pressure fitness being different than a Kegel, a traditional Kegel? So, and you can correct me if I'm wrong from the pelvic PT's point of view as well. Uh, um, this is kind of how I, I say it. Well, hypopressives is a full body approach. So we definitely take a look of everything from head to toe that affects that canister. So the respiratory diaphragm, the pelvic diaphragm or pelvic floor, the transverse abdominals and the multifidus, the muscles along the back. So if you can picture that canister is the core, but we know that everything from head to toe affects the core's ability to function as a unit, because if your alignment is off, then you're not breathing properly, like I mentioned before, and the pelvic floor is off. So it it seems to me that many people who are looking at Kegels or doing Kegels are really just going at one aspect of the core, the pelvic floor, and they aren't necessarily pulling in its responsibility as an integral piece to the core as a whole. Does that make sense? And they're just looking at one function of the pelvic floor, the strength component, if you will, or the small percentage of muscle fibers that are responsible for that piece, the strength. And we know that you need to be able to relax completely in order to contract. And so the pelvic PT might have the person, again, function with those muscles with breathing, with the breath, But um, I don't know how much they're attacking the respiratory diaphragm aspect of it and the full body alignment piece. So hypopressives is really a full body approach, but it trains the core to function in an anticipatory and an automatic way. So unlike a Kegel where you're using your brain to voluntarily contract those muscles within the pelvic floor, the hypopressives causes a reaction, right? Every action with hypopressives, whether it's the details and the cues or this vacuum breath or holding of the breath and uh, opening of the rib cage, that action creates a reaction. Does that make sense? So when we're doing the hypopressives, we have a reaction that's happening within the pelvic floor where everything gets drawn inwards and upwards. It becomes decongested. The organs get repositioned. 
but we're not going at it from the brain. Okay, how do I do this? It just happens. So how I like to relate the two of them together a little bit and how they complement each other, because I don't think to say to not do a Kegel is okay. I think we need to maintain a balance and understand what are the muscles there for? What is their function? What are the fibers there for? We're not training it like a quad recept, right? Or your bicep. We need to train it for its function. So with hypopressives, we get, we're training the type one muscle fibers that are responsible for resting tone and the function of the floor. That's a postural muscle. Yeah, it always needs to be active, active without us thinking about it. It needs to know how to respond in an anticipatory way. And just to maintain, right, the tone and support. Same with the transverse abdominals, same with the uh, respiratory diaphragm. They're made up predominantly of these type 1 muscle fibers. So we're recruiting in an automatic or an anticipatory way these muscle fibers to activate when we're doing this breathing technique and when we're doing the postures. It's not just about the breath. What happens is we start to improve the proprioception for the woman or the man of their pelvic floor or about the pelvic floor. So as an example, the woman might go in and say the pelvic health physio says, okay, can you, let's see if you can do a Kegel and get it, give me a pelvic floor contraction or can you relax the pelvic floor, whatever she needs to do. And there may be a bit of a disconnect where the woman's like, oh my God, I'm trying to do it. I, I know what you're telling me, I just can't do it, you know? And so when they start then doing the hypopressives and it happens automatically and they're like, oh my God, they feel it. They feel the vagina or the pelvic floor going up more and more with the hold. As it gets better, it gets a little bit um, stronger or deeper, if you will, with the more practice. And it starts sending a message to the brain and the brain's like, oh, this is where the muscle is. This is the direction it needs to go. And then they go back to the pelvic health physio, and the physio's like, oh, so you've been doing hypopressives, I hear. So now let's see how you can do a Kegel, or let's see how your pelvic uh, floor uh, contraction is. And now the woman is like, oh my God, now I know what you want me to do because she'd been feeling it happen automatically. Does that make sense? So now her brain knows where that muscle is. Instead of kind of giving that biofeedback where the fingers are in, okay, contract, contract, lift, give a lift. This does that for you because it happens automatically. You don't have to try and go at it from the brain, hmm. right? Does that, does that make sense and kind of sum up what? Yeah, and it does. And I've seen this, right? Because when I worked in Toronto, I would have clients see you and then come back to see me and we would see change, whether prolapse or tone or strength. Um, and I think we'll have, we have a lot of um, health professional and fitness professionals listening, but possibly some expecting or new moms who are wondering about too, are hypopressives um, appropriate if you have a hypertonic pelvic floor? So if your pelvic floor is more tense, would this be appropriate? It is appropriate, yes. I also like to network with a pelvic health physio. Like, so if they're working with a pelvic health physio, it's perfect because that's a piece that I do not see, right? So I like to get their perspective. Um, hypertonicity can be caused by a number of reasons, even by stress can be causing someone's hypertonicity or is it structural or tissue or what's, what's causing this hypertone? 
So it depends on the client. And sometimes it, in this one scenario, it might be great that they're working with the pelvic health physio to help to work out some of these tension spots and create a little bit of a release in the tissue. And then they do the hypopressives and it helps to maintain uh, what they've been doing with the pelvic health physio because they're not recruiting and getting hypertonic again. It's a respiratory technique. So they're learning how to breathe better, more efficiently. And if you're breathing better and your inhale becomes more functional, you know, the, the pelvic floor does more of a relax on the inhalation. So just by then targeting the person or having them focus on the breath instead of the pelvic floor, oh my God, the pelvic floor can help to release because again, they're trying to release the pelvic floor with the brain. Oh my God, relax it, relax it, relax it. And they weren't really thinking enough about, oh my God, just breathe. And like you say, just let go. And just that alone can cause a change in the pelvic floor tone and help to maintain it. So again, it depends on the person, maybe to work with the pelvic health physio at the same time, you know, like uh, session per session, et cetera. Um, and, or maybe they got to a certain stage with the pelvic health physio and then hypopressives is their best thing after that. Maybe all they need is the hypopressives. Maybe it was really a stress related and now they're actually finally breathing and becoming posturally aware. And they have a technique that is more mindful and de-stress, you know, um, and that can help. So yes, it can definitely help with hypertone as well. Why do you think hypopressives work? Okay. I think they work for a number of reasons. Okay. Um, and I actually think, I, okay, aside from hypopressives a little bit, but I'm going to pull the hypopressives back in. You keep this if you want to, whatever. But I think it also really has to do a lot with the trainer, the person who's working with the client. And I really believe that if you believe that this will work and your trainer believes that you will restore it's a huge piece to this okay the recovery process and i really think um hypopressives themselves can help but i think the person has to like believe that they can help and understand the concepts behind it and allow their body to feel and kind of well i say surrender to it but it's only my vocabulary of saying because that's when I think you're going to get the results. And I think really it's with other techniques too. If you go in and you're like, this doesn't make sense. Why am I even doing this? Or my, the person I just saw, she doesn't even think I'm going to really recover or restore Then That person's not going to respond the same way. So I think it has a lot to do with the trainer who's teaching this. I like to incorporate that in the courses that I teach about this whole approach to the client, who the client is that aspect of it in the courses because i think it's really important um why do i think it helps i think just addressing their alignment and their breathing all of a sudden starts to help like they can feel a difference after their first session or second session only because we made some subtle changes some mindfulness pieces that they're oh just becoming a little more aware of what their bad habits were. And we're just starting to create a little bit of a new normal for them, right? Where they're not standing with their knees locked. Oh my God, standing with the knees locked, you let them feel, because many of them we take photos before. They stand with their knees straight. And I say, okay, so they're breathing. And I ask them to be aware of what their breath feels like, et cetera. And they're like, okay. And I say, okay, 
Now with your knees straight, pretend, or because I'm there, you just tap them a little bit from behind the knee and you just kind of let the tension of the knee go. And I say, okay, how does the breath feel now? Oh my God, I can breathe way better. It's crazy, the difference. That in itself, combined with teaching them, oh, just how to grow and lengthen, starts to pull the alignment piece in and starts to have, then you're kind of lining up those domes, what I call the dome, like the dome shape of the top of your head, the dome shape of the respiratory diaphragm, the dome shape of the pelvic floor. And if these domes, we have the other, the feet, et cetera, but I really refer mostly to these three domes. Um, if those domes are lined up, then things will move more synergistically, right? And so just bringing about small awareness like this can make a small, subtle change. So I think hypopressives works as we're starting to introduce the technique as much as the technique itself. So then we start to work on the postural piece where we're looking at with the posture, we're not looking at um, contracting and tightening the muscles, right? It's not like, oh, we're using this external self to hold the poses with rigidity. We're more eccentrically lengthening and we're going about it from the fascia, like all that netting or spider web or cotton candy that's all within the body and can get bound in areas, you know? So we're kind of opening up and creating space and improving circulation and mobility of all the joints um, so I think going at it from the alignment piece, whatever they were being cued to be mindfully thinking of their posture at the beginning or how their alignment, the soft knees, the growing, you don't have to think about that all the time. It's just at the beginning. Eventually hypopressives, the postural work will reprogram you. It'll become the new you without you thinking about it. Does that make sense? So that helps to maintain and solidify the stuff that we do with this abdominal vacuum piece where we're decongesting the pelvic cavity, we're opening up the respiratory diaphragm. So we're improving the diaphragm's function because we're improving the respiratory function, whether it's through the intercostal muscles, et cetera, the alignment. With the apnea part, right, combined. So the apnea we know is without air. And that's when we, exhale the air out and it's not all oh, the air and it's not with a final push or anything we simply ah oh, exhaled lengthened and grew and then we go to mimic taking a breath where we go to take a false inhale where we've either pinched our nose and closed our mouth or we closed uh, the throat and we go to mimic taking a breath without air going in and that's when you get this drawing inwards and upwards where we decongest the pelvic cavity and we lift the organs reposition themselves so and like i mentioned before you feel the pelvic floor going up so instead of pushing everything down and out which gravity does all the time because we live in a world with gravity whether we're laughing coughing sneezing whatever the the pressure is usually going out right somehow so this just draws everything inwards and upwards instead of pushing everything down and out repositions things and improves the resting tone right in that involuntary or automatic way by activating those tonic type one muscle fibers i talked about earlier in the transverse abdominals the pelvic floor the diaphragm etc so it's not just about the breath but it's that apnea and false inhale vacuum effect that helps to decongest with those muscles and then we solidify everything with the posture and the alignment piece 
But I don't want to also ignore the fact that all the cues and the positions of the poses are also done specifically to create a reaction within that core and the transverse abdominals and the alignment and everything. So for someone who's practicing and to feel what the simple cues do, you feel a tonic and activation of the transverse abdominals. Just, oh, come on, offer a little hug, a little bit of movement, because they're also important and our postural cues and posture is you know, transverse abdominals and everything. So it's, yeah, there's so much to it. There's so much to it. And if you're qualified to take the course, take the course, cause it'll really like pull everything together. It's hard to do in a podcast, you know, there's really a lot to it. I think that's so key because when I went into the course with you, Trista, seeing it and then feeling it in your body, it completely changes what you might be thinking about it, what you might have seen on the internet about it. It just really is something I feel like you need to feel in your own body to get. Yeah, because it is. Whatever that vacuum, it's not a pulling inwards and upwards. The abdominals, it's literally a reaction. A reaction that happened because of the action of doing this false breath. And the reaction of every pose. And so as we do poses and I teach my client the poses, everything that I teach them, whether it's the growing, whether it's the arm position, whether it's the foot position, everything I like to say, okay, what does it feel like now compared to now let's go into the pose. What do you feel? Oh, they can feel transverse. Just come on a little bit. Okay. That's why we do that action. And the lengthening and the growing, oh, and I'm like, did you feel? And they can feel the belly button slightly glide up. Some can feel the pelvic floor go up. And I'm like, exactly. That action just created a reaction. So a key, key point when I'm training my clients is you cannot make it happen. You have to allow it to happen. And sometimes they feel that reaction and they feel, oh my God, the belly button go up, you know, as they're just growing. Or as an example, and they just allowed it to happen because they didn't really know what to expect. But then they tried to do it again and the growing and I'm like, okay, you can't do it this way. Now you're trying to make it happen. You have to allow it to happen the same way you did before because as soon as you try to make it, then it's with too much vigor. The abdominals come on too much. The postural tone is too great. They're too trying to go at it a different way. So it's really about allowing the reactions to happen based on the cues that we're giving you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So you have to allow it. If you try and make it happen, it will be ruined. And I definitely think we're going to have a lot of fitness and health professionals listening who are going to want to find out how to train, which we're going to get to. Yeah. But I'm curious if you can explain, because I'm sure people are wondering as well, are there any populations who shouldn't do hypopressives? So, okay, so as far as the apnea goes, so anyone, anybody, mm -hmm. pretty much a blanket statement can do the postures. We cue the breath differently. They wouldn't do, if they are contraindicated, they wouldn't do that apnea where you're getting the vacuum, but the postures you can always do. It makes a huge difference. We cue the breath differently. So just to introduce that, so as an example, the woman who's pregnant, Okay, if she comes to me and she's pregnant already, 
I can go through and teach her the whole program, all the poses, all the cues. She gets it. I cue the breath differently. So instead of where we would exhale and go into apnea and do this vacuum breath, that's when I would cue her to do a voluntary contraction where she's drawing up the pelvic floor. She's still doing the details of the cues, the growing, and she feels and gets a better contraction and then a relax than she would if she's trying to do a, just a pelvic floor on her own. I cue it same where you're doing the rest breaths because we don't always just do these vacuum breaths. We always do three rest breaths between each of these vacuum breaths at the beginning. And I won't go into detail on how you progress, but at the beginning, you always do three. It's really important to adhere to that because you don't want to be contracting the floor the whole entire time. A big part of this is the rest breaths. So she still does the rest breaths. We cue the third breath with a voluntary contraction. Same with someone who might be just post-surgery for whatever reason. It's ideal for anyone post-surgery or if anyone's in pain or discomfort or an injury to do whatever poses they can, but to really address their breathing, right? And their respiratory function. So even if they couldn't do the apnea because they had abdominal surgery, they just had a C-section, hernia, whatever surgery they had, they can always still focus on the breath work, the posture and the alignment piece. If there's someone who's got, um, it's, it's very similar to the fitness industry and the same is like if someone has high blood pressure, you don't just put them on a treadmill and start saying, okay, so let's just see how fast and how hard you can go and see what's going to happen. No, you have to respect the fact that they have this. Has the, their physician said it's okay to do this exercise technique? And you do it slowly and carefully. So another thing is with the hypos is people see this abdominal vacuum and they think it's like harder, stronger, deeper, that they have to look like some of these images. And it's not. Your apnea will be your apnea or your abdominal vacuum will be yours. Don't try to make it look stronger and deeper and don't ever try to get it that way because then it's not, you're going to wreck it. So when someone comes and they have a bit of a contraindication or like they're a special scenario, you can go very gently and they don't have to hold for so long. It's not about, oh my God, I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath. You know, it's much more gentle than that. And you're kind of at peace with it. So it's not like you're stressed in the head or anywhere else. Um, someone who, uh, you know, it so varies depending on the scenario. Like if someone doesn't have a kidney, it might not be in their best interest to do the apneas, depending on certain organ donations. Of course, if you've had a hysterectomy, it's in your best interest to do hypos. But it's always best. The qualified instructor will be able to talk to you about it, get permission from the uh, their GP or whatever to see so it just varies so much from one person to the next that you could go into detail about other things, but it can be similar to exercise in that way, right? We also, just a quick note too, is we also start people very gradually. As you know, you don't teach someone how to do this and say, okay, you can do hypos every day. You do the apneas every day. No, it's like the same idea as you teach someone proper running form running technique. Okay, good. Be aware. You don't say, okay, you're good for 10 K's now. No, you have to slowly progress them. See how the body responds, what might need to be 
oh, modified a little bit based on that person, it's the same thing. And I like to think also is pelvic floor dysfunction is similar to an injury, right? You're sh it's an injury. You're showing a symptom to an injury to your core. And we just need to help restore it like you would a knee injury, a back injury, a shoulder injury. And when you think of it this way, oh my God, it starts to make sense and you can make peace with it in the brain, you know, where it's like, okay, I get the fact that there are some exercises I might not be able to do because I have a knee injury, right? It's the same with the pelvic floor. There's certain things you can do, certain things you have to hold off on as you restore. As you get better and as the things are restoring, your pelvic health physio or whatever, you're starting to reintroduce the activities that you love, you don't start running 10Ks or start playing tennis right away or whatever. You're like, okay, let's see. What can I manage? Let's slowly start to reintroduce and see um, what the person can manage or not. And like anything in life, it is a maintenance program. It's not a miracle fix, right? You have to maintain it. You can't strengthen a bicep for 12 weeks and expect it to be strong for the rest of the life, nor can you brush your teeth for 12 weeks and expect to have good dental health for the rest of your life, you know? So it's a maintenance program that varies from one person to the next. And one person might be, oh my God, hypopressives for me, it's awesome. I do the 20 minutes or 15 minutes two or, three, two or three times a week. That's all I need. Where someone else might be, say, oh, oh, I just, I do four of the main poses in the morning. That's good for me. Someone else does it after their run. Someone else, I have one businessman who closes his door every day at four o'clock and does his hypopressives for his mental health, his respiratory health, and to re-energize him. So it depends on how you want to use it, you know, and where you want to go with it. And um, if you really love it, there's a level two where it's all dynamic series and then there's a wall program and everything. So it doesn't have to just be, oh my God, I have to do my pelvic floor exercises. No, it's a core and restoration or maintenance program, you know, just like you would do another exercise or something else to maintain your respiratory, uh, your heart health, you know, same idea. It's a tool that we're using to maintain our respiratory, postural, pelvic health core function. Yeah? Yes, yes, I love the couple things you mentioned. One, it being a tool. Two, that it's not an all or nothing type system. And it's three, that it's a principle of strength and conditioning programming, which is progressive overload. So just a personal yep. example for me, I started doing some hypos at maybe three weeks post C-section, first time around postpartum, and I would start with very short apneas and maybe just using one posture that felt comfortable with my physical mobility at that time, and then just gradually added on from there, and it worked very well for me with a C-section recovery and hypertonic pelvic floor. And so can you share, because yeah, we're going to have a lot of questions on how do people find out about these courses? So for fitness and health professionals, how can they get trained in low pressure fitness? So they can take the course. There's a level one. All the courses are 15 hours. There's a level one, a level two, a level three. After you do level three and you write the exam, then you become quote unquote certified. Otherwise, you're qualified to work with clients after the level one. The courses are posted in two different areas. So I have the courses that I'm teaching are posted on Hypopressives Canada, 
Com. And I actually have a course in Minnesota coming up in September. So although it's Hyperpressive's Canada, there is a U.S. course there. Um, as well as there are some other courses uh, in the fall, Kelowna, Winnipeg. For those who are listening who are kind of around the globe looking for courses, lowpressurefitness.com will also list the courses I'm teaching as well as other instructors around the globe where they can find the courses and we're all teaching the same course content um from one to the next i just happen to have this website as well uh as theirs um so you can take the courses and you can find out about the courses there and there's workshops that are also posted a lot of times i'll do a workshop in the area where i'm teaching a course to help kind of plant the seed and kind of spread the word to the general public um yeah to let them know about this new technique that's being offered and that there's going to be a number of qualified instructors after that weekend who are going to be able to work with them in the technique uh, and just sort of introduce the concepts. Um, yeah. And then for my personal, like if you want to look at my personal website and some of my clients' stories, uh, read my personal story, see some of the videos, articles, or interviews, whatever, um, you can go to coresetfitness.com. So C-O-R-E-S-E-T fitness.com. Is there anything else you'd like people to know about hypopressives? Um, well, not hypopressives per se, but I want people to know that the whole... Uh, but for those who have pelvic floor dysfunction or who have an injury and they're trying to restore that there are many techniques out there. And although hypopressives was my miracle and it has helped many, many people, there are other techniques out there that have proven effective for many as well. And I think the really important thing is, is to understand and accept the fact that it's a bit of a journey. Be patient with yourself. You know, talk to yourself internally like you would offer the same guidance and support to a true friend who's going through the same thing. Because uh, I think we can be so hard on ourselves and want the quick fix. And we just really need to listen, learn, accept this as a journey. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And really find the technique that resonates well with you and that you really want to take the time and invest the time in. And um, I think sometimes... People are so quick to jump from one te technique to the next because they started something, they heard something else is better, is working for that person, and they didn't, didn't really let that one take over. And, you know, so I think don't rush. Be patient. Listen to your body and allow yourself uh, the time. It'll come. It'll come. And you will you'll get better. You know, this will be in the past, you know. Uh, anyway, those would be my, my final words. Hypopressives were, is what I'm the most passionate about because that's what helped me and that's what I can share. And I like to, to work with others in this technique, but yeah. Thank you so much, Trista, for being on for your knowledge, but also for your inspiration as well, um, with your own journey. And we both Justin and I know how passionate you are about hypopressives and, We've seen the results ourselves and also with clients too. So thank you so much. And everyone listening, be sure to check out the links in the show notes, as well as Trista is on Facebook and Instagram, and those will all be on the show notes as well. On the next episode, we speak with the co-founders of Bebo Mia, Bianca and Natasha.
Bebamia is an incredible organization that mentors, trains, and supports doulas and other birth professionals. In the episode, we dive into the role of the doula, how they can fit into your birth team, and why you might consider hiring one for your birth or postpartum period. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 